Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Hey everyone. Morning. Nice. Uh, thanks for joining us and suffering the cold with us. Um, I, if you're wondering, it is just as cold up here. Uh, I just can't see. So that's it. Um, but yeah, that's, this is our, our last week here. Uh, so suffer for the Lord with me this week. And then next week, let's praise the Lord for heat. Uh, let's not forget the, the cold that we, we went through. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about that. Uh, and we are continuing our Advent series, uh, which means that this is the time of year where all of us go back on Google and look up what Advent means. Uh, at least that's what I do every year. You'd think I'd remember, but to save you the trouble, I, I wrote it down. Uh, Advent means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event, uh, which means in this, in our case, uh, it's us remembering that Jesus came, uh, and that's what we celebrate every Christmas. I grew up wondering, like, why? Why do we have to do this every year? I grew up in a, a Baptist church, and so we always had this tradition of lighting these four candles. Uh, and then there's a fifth candle that was in the middle that we would light every year and every week uh, leading up to Christmas, the four weeks before, we would light one of those candles and it would symbolize something. Again, you'd think I'd remember. Um, I wasn't super good at listening, but there was a, a, the middle candle would be lit on Christmas Eve. And uh, the tradition is just, it kept going and, and we just did it every year and I was used to it as a kid. And growing up, for me, mostly all it meant was, uh, you know, each candle was one step closer to Christmas and getting presents. Like, that's what I was excited about. I was like, oh, new candle. We're, we're, down, to, we're down to one. And I know what that means. Uh, and then we had a family tradition of uh, right after the Christmas Eve service, we always had a Christmas Eve service. And I usually had to play some kind of part with angels or, you know, one year I had to sing a country version of uh, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Or I'm sorry, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Uh, that was embarrassing. But right after, we'd go home and we'd have our family Christmas and, and open presents. And I was always excited about that. Um, and so this year, as I, I was jumping into the Advent uh, series and I was given this sermon, I was trying to think, like, why, why do we celebrate this every year? Why do we need to build up to Christmas? I mean, can't we just celebrate Christmas like we do Easter? Do we need a whole, like, build up to it? Um, and there was something that, like, just became apparent as I was going through the sermon, as we talk about the prophets and leading up to Jesus and, and the people that were looking forward to him. It just reminded me how much we need to remember that. Remember that there's thousands of years of people waiting for the Messiah to come, and we get to relive that story every year. We get to hear it, know it, read about it, have it memorized at this point, know the story of the coming of our Messiah, and we shouldn't take that lightly. We shouldn't take it lightly that we know this story so well. We shouldn't take it lightly. Like We shouldn't look at this with fresh eyes, remembering that there were people desperately waiting for this day to come. And we get to know about it and celebrate it every year. So yeah, I think we should build up to it every year. I think we should relive that anticipation that they had. Um, so we're going to dive into the, the prophets today and, and talk about some of them. You'll see there's a lot of scripture. We're going to run through them. And I left a little timeline in the sermon notes that you can read if you want to uh, follow along with when their approximate dates would be. There's some question marks because it's hard to tell. Um, but before I do that, can we pray? Hey God, uh, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity you've given me to share. Uh, pray, Lord, that you meet with us here, um, speak with us, keep us warm, Holy Spirit. Um, 
and help us uh, just learn and grow and and um, speak speak to us and help us learn and um, re reignite the fire of the excitement that we have in you and reignite the the passion we have for for you jesus and pray lord that uh, as we go through this season that we can be excited for this story even though we've heard it a lot that we can be excited about um you're coming to earth and being with us Um, we love you god and thank you so much um we give this time over to you in jesus name amen all right so we we are going through the prophets and this portion follows along after King David. So we talked about King David and how he set up for Jesus in the line of Jesus and he gave Jesus royalty, right? He's in, Jesus was born in the line of David, which fulfills a lot of prophecies, but it also establishes Jesus as a king. Uh, And not just any king, a king like David. David was a humble king. David was a servant-hearted king. David was, he made his mistakes, but he kept repenting and turning back to the Lord, faithfully serving him all his life. But that didn't continue after David, Solomon came along and jury's still kind of out on Solomon if he was good or bad, Um, but he was wise and he led and the nation of Israel rose to significant power and, and was probably one of the most prominent wealthy nations in the world at the time. And with power and wealth and not as good of a foundation of faith and humility like David had, the kings that come after Solomon start to break away and turn away from the Lord. And, and in fact, there's a division and the nation split apart. And so the northern nation of 10 tribes of Israel become Israel. And then the southern nation of Judah, which held Jerusalem, uh, was just Judah. And it was Judah and Benjamin, and that was the nation of Judah. So northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And they both have two different kings. In the northern kingdom, they were all bad. All bad kings, didn't serve the Lord, weren't humble, and... It led to their demise and destruction. And yeah, the Southern Kingdom had a couple of good kings, but mostly bad too, and eventually led to destruction and exile, just like the Northern Kingdom. So, uh, in the midst of that, this is all paving the way before Jesus comes. In the midst of that, God sends messengers, which we call prophets. That's literally the same word. Um, that they are prophets that are given a message by God to share with the people. And they would share that message. And most of the time that message was repent, turn around, go back, or bad things are going to happen. And they, they never did. Like they didn't listen to them. In fact, God even says to some of them, they're not going to listen to you, but here, say this message anyways. And for some reason, the people didn't like being told, hey, you're wicked. Stop doing what you're doing. And so they killed these prophets, most of them. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a good time to be a prophet. And yet these people faithfully served God and did what he called them to do, sharing the message. But in the midst of those messages that they would share, the messages of, hey, bad things are going to happen, repent, turn around, stop doing what you're doing, serve God, humble yourselves. In the midst of those messages, God was giving them a little glimmer of hope that they, there was going to be a day where God's kingdom would be reestablished, where the glory of the Lord would once again reign. And that there was going to come a king in the line of David that was going to restore peace and bring salvation and be their Messiah. And so that's uh, what God would kept giving these prophets. And we're going to read through some of those little glimmers of hope that these prophets give. And we're going to talk about these prophets and, and how they paved the way for Jesus. So we're going to open up with Micah. He's the first one. I'm trying to go in like the expected chronological order. 
And Micah was, he was a prophet during the time before and kind of during the Assyrian exile, which is the northern kingdom, which means the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, remember, all bad kings, and Micah and Isaiah, uh, they were both prophets during the time and they were preaching to these kingdoms. And sometimes they were preaching to one, sometimes they were preaching to the other and telling them, hey, turn around, repent, humble yourselves. Micah is very famous. His main message is humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before the Lord and humble yourself or else bad things are going to happen. And that's what ultimately happens. The kings, the kingdom of the northern tribes of Israel, they don't humble themselves. And the Assyrian empire comes and destroys them and exiles them and brings them into their kingdom. And so that's what ultimately happens to the northern kingdom. And Micah and Isaiah were living during this time. Uh, Some of the kings that were around then were Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. Um, and so that's, that's the, the time when Micah comes before the destructions happen and during the destruction of the Northern kingdom. And he says this in chapter five, verse two through five, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, Ephrathah, something like that, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when he, when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. So, the looming threat of the destruction of the northern kingdom, the seeing God's people continue to turn away, seeing these kings be evil, wicked kings that don't serve the Lord and humble themselves, seeing the nation divide and crumble before them. This prophet, this faithful man, Micah, is given this message from God to go share to the people like, hey, repent, humble yourselves. And then in the midst of that, here's this glimmer of hope. From Bethlehem, there will be a king, a ruler, a shepherd that comes. And he, he will establish peace. And they will find peace in, 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 his, in his flock. And you can see how that, that plays in on Micah and his present circumstances, that he is, he is seeing the destruction of his nation. His hope is probably diminishing. He has to deliver messages of saying repent and seeing them not be listened to. And he's not given a great, like, this isn't a great time to be a prophet. And so he's, he's struggling with this message. He's struggling with his role. And God gives him this message. But don't worry, there's a time when there will be peace. He's only seen conflict and struggle and division but there will be a time of peace and there will be time when there was a ruler from Bethlehem that will shepherd his people and the people will be a nation once again. So he's given this hope and he shares it and he, he himself gets to receive it. How about Isaiah? Isaiah reigns there at the same time um, and he has a lot of prophecies. There, I, I, I'm not covering all the prophecies of Jesus. There's a ton of them. Um, but this was, this, both of these are about 700 years before Jesus would come. And Isaiah was a prophet during the same time and he got to see the Assyrian, uh, the Assyrian exile and he speaks specifically to two kings that were in uh, Judah, Ahaz and Hezekiah. Um, he has a same, he has a interesting metaphor that he uses in his, in his uh, book uh, that he shares is that Israel's like this tree that God planted and grew up in the height and the, the prom, like the, what am I trying to say? 
the, the best time for that tree was during the reigns of David and Solomon. And this tree was glorious and powerful and amazing. And, and now God is cutting off that tree. And then he uses this imagery of a seed that will grow out of the stump of that tree. And, and uh, that seed, as we understand it, is Jesus. But in the midst of, of all of these things, he's speaking to the, prophet, or to the king Ahaz, who's, again, not a good king. Uh, and he, he says this. I wanted to bring in the whole passage so that we can kind of get a glimpse of what's going on. That this prophecy wasn't just out of the blue, um, but it actually had a point at that time as well. So in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10 through 14, he's speaking to King Ahaz. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you weary men that you weary, too weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So in this story, uh, Isaiah is given a message to give to King Ahaz, King Ahaz being a bad king, and he's saying, hey, there's going to be destruction. The northern kingdom already got destroyed and exiled. Your kingdom's coming too. You got to turn, you got to repent, you got to humble yourself before the Lord. And Ahaz, and he says to him, like, I'll, I'll give you a sign. I'll let you know that I'm telling the truth. I'll let you know that this is real. And Ahaz says, I don't want your sign. I won't put the Lord to the test. I don't want to know his might or his strength. I don't want to know this sign. And Isaiah speaks back on the Lord's behalf and says, you're wearying your, your people. You're also wearying God. And I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And here's that sign. That there's going to be a virgin that gives birth to a son. And his name will be called Emmanuel. Which means God with us. This is a, a really good passage that, one, prof- prophesies the, the, uh, the virginity of, of Jesus' mother and that, that was gonna, he was going to be born of a virgin, uh, but also that the Messiah was going to be called God with us, Emmanuel. And uh, now Jesus' name isn't actually Emmanuel. Uh, Jesus' name means save us. Um, but Emmanuel, meaning that God with us, that God was coming to be with us. And this is a significant thing for us to understand and a great message for Isaiah to understand is that he has a faith in the Lord and in God that wants to come to be with them. That all the other nations and all the other religions and all the other faiths and all the other things that you might believe in all the other ways of life are all about how you can attain some level of being with God or going to where he is. And it's all about getting somewhere. It's all about becoming something, to go somewhere, to be with someone. But this faith and this relationship is all about how God comes to be with his people, his creation, his children. And that God has been at work. And Isaiah understands this by understanding all, all that led up before him. That God has been at work trying to reveal himself to his people, trying to establish relationship. And he's been trying all these different methods. And now he's going to send himself to the earth to have relationship with them directly. And ultimately to die and re- restore that relationship, restore the righteousness and, and everything that needed to happen. Uh, so, Isaiah gets this message and shares it with Ahaz. And Ahaz might have been confused at the time, like, what? <laughs> uh, but this, we know that this is, this is for the future. This is coming. Uh, and Isaiah gets this, this message that there will become uh, the Messiah. He will be called Emmanuel and he will come from a virgin. 
Now, Jeremiah uh, is another prophet that comes along. Uh, he comes after the exile of Assyria. So the northern kingdom's already been destroyed and exiled. And the Babylonian exile is about to happen. And he gets to experience that as well. Um, he's a prophet during the time of Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. And he talks a lot about this new covenant. In fact, that's what we're going to read about uh, in this prophecy. So in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, he says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, No, the Lord... For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So, once again, long before Jesus comes, Jeremiah is a a prophet sharing a message with the southern kingdom of Judah that they're about to be exiled, and in the midst of his message to repent, to humble themselves, he says this, that there's coming a day where there's going to be a new covenant a new covenant that's made that's not going to be like the old covenant, not one from the outside, but one from the inside. That the old covenant in which they were brought out of Egypt and God did his marriage ceremony in the desert with the Ten Commandments saying, I will provide for you and I will take care of you as long as you follow these commands. They have been breaking these commands. And God understands that there needs to be a new covenant, one in which it comes from within, not from without. It's not one that they're taught from the outside and said, oh no, but one that changes them from the inside and helps them become different and change. And we understand this now, in retrospect, we know that the Holy Spirit does this work. And I, if any of you have been Christians long enough, you understand what this feels like, how the Holy Spirit changes you from the inside. That it's not just you trying to become a better person, but it's you actually becoming a better person. And I, I don't know if you've been lucky enough to experience this. It's, it's challenging. It's, it's difficult. But as God's worked in my life, I've seen this, where I, as a child, I worked hard to try to become better because I knew the rules. But as I grew up and started to understand what God did and see how my actions affected the world around me, I started to see, oh, I want to be something different. It's not about doing different things. It's about being a different person. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit's patient has worked within me and helped me become a better person, one that actually cares about people and wants to see others have the same relationship with God that I have. So, We understand what this new covenant looks like, and we understand how the law can be written on their hearts, but in this day, this wasn't, this was a foreign concept, and Jeremiah gets this message and gets to share it, and I think it was good for him, because he, again, gets, is only just seeing destruction, like, try to understand the, the position that all these prophets are in. They're just watching their nation fall apart. They're watching all these people fall apart. They're watching, they're faithful to the Lord, and they're watching their entire nation, all their friends and family, all the people around them, not be faithful to the Lord. And they have this burden to share the message that God gives them and nobody's listening to them. In fact, Jeremiah is one of the, one of the ones that God says ahead of time, hey, you're, here's the message that I want you to give. They're not going to listen to it. What a great way to set a guy up. Like, hey, hey, Corbin, I want you to come preach. No one's going to listen to you and actually everyone's going to hate you for what you have to say, but go for it. Thanks, God. That's great. 
Um, that's, that's what Jeremiah and all, a lot of these prophets had to do. They had to get up there and no one's going to listen. It's not going to, nothing's going to change. And so in the midst of that message, how, how awesome was these words when he got to say, but there's going to be a new covenant. There's going to be a new day. It's going to happen where people return to the Lord. It's not, I'm not seeing it now, but God said so. And so I think that's, that's just going to be hugely impactful for the prophet when he gets to share this message. Let's move on to Daniel. Now, we covered a series on Daniel not too long ago, um, and we talked about him. So I don't want to d- dive too much into his story, but he was exiled. He, he is, at a young age, was exiled into Babylon. He was part of the southern kingdom. And so his earliest years, he got to experience the kingdom of Babylon and the king of Babylon be the enemy and on threat to destroy them. He got to hear uh, the prophecies laid down that the nation was going to turn or that either they had to humble themselves or they would be destroyed and saw that they were going to be destroyed. And then he got castrated and put into the service of that king and watched his whole nation be exiled into the kingdom of Babylon. So now he's in the service of a king that he grew up probably not liking very much. Uh, and he now has no hope for the future of his life and his line. Um, but yet he's faithful to the Lord. And he continues to serve the Lord. Uh, and he's not necessarily, he's given messages, but his is mostly through dreams and visions. And that's why some of his, the passages you read in Daniel are kind of confusing. It's like, what is happening here? Uh, but there's a lot of imagery because he's seeing things through dreams and visions. And he actually interprets dreams for the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and it ties into a vision that he himself gets later on, uh, which is what we're going to read together. Daniel seven, thirteen and 14. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the cloud of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So Daniel, who's seen kingdoms fall, he's seen kings come and go. And at this point, he served a few different kings. And he's had to earn the trust of each one and had the threat on his life multiple times and yet was faithful to God, continued to serve him. And he's given this vision in one of his dreams where he sees the Son of Man, sees the Messiah, and he came to the Ancient of Days and he sees that he's given dominion, he's given power, he's given a kingdom. And this kingdom is not like the other kingdoms, not like the ones he's seen all his life, not the, like the ones he's seen in other visions, that they will all be destroyed, not like ones that have been happened before him, that they all have a shelf life where there's, it's, it's going to end. There's a, there's, a, there's a time where this will all end. No, this kingdom's different. This kingdom's an everlasting kingdom. This kingdom never ends. And so he gets to see this and see all this happen. And, and I think that was a, a great hope for him that in the midst of all this, all this like temporary things that he's been going through in his life, he's given a message of that there's an everlasting kingdom coming. Ezekiel's the next prophet that comes along. He was a priest. And right about when he was going to be anointed as a priest, he's at the age of 30, he was going to become a priest. He got exiled into Babylon. Uh, and so instead of getting to serve his Lord, which he had been learning and training and growing to become a priest, he gets exiled into the kingdom of Babylon. And he, he gets a, a, the unique privilege of doing something called like 
illustrations or sign acts that he comes and God tells him exactly what to do. And out of what he's doing, God had a message, kind of like a parable. He's saying, okay, what I want you to do is this and then explain to them what that means. And so he had to actually live out some of the things. And once again, he's told by God, they're not going to listen to you. So I want you to do these things and it's not going to be fun. And then I want you to share with them a message and they're not going to listen to you. So it's all going to be relatively pointless other than that I need, to, I need you to share this message. And so that's, that's a horrible thing for him to go through because especially one of the worst ones that he was told, one of the illustrations that he was told to do was lie on his side for over a year. And that's not the worst part. But on top of that, he has to cook food over burning excrement. So poop. You know, there you go. I made the connection for you. So he had to cook it. He had to cook his food over poop and lie on his side for over a year. And that's the illustration that God wanted him to, to perform so that he could give them the message. Hey, this is what you're going to be like if you don't turn and you don't humble yourselves. And once again, he's told, but don't worry, they're not going to listen anyway. It's like, why do I have to go through all this? But Ezekiel does. He's faithful to the Lord. And uh, this is the message that God gave him. In, in the midst of all those prophecies and the things that he's sharing with the, the kingdom that's been exiled, he says this in Ezekiel 34, 23 through 24, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and he shall f- feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. You can see the longing that these people have and the excitement they have for that there's going to be a day in the midst of their whole surroundings. This has all been a struggle. This has been hard for them. All he's seen is just pain and suffering and exile and seeing the people that he loves, that, that he wants to see this nation restored to the way it was before. And he wants to see these people turn back to their God, humble themselves and serve God faithfully. And it's not happening. In fact, he's expressly told it's never going to happen. No matter how much you preach, no matter how much you do, they're not going to turn. But he gives a message. He gets this message from the Lord that someday there's going to be a shepherd that comes and he will shepherd the people and, and I will be their God again. That's what he desperately wants to see. And that's what God says to him. There will be a day and it will come from my servant, David. One of the prophecies that explains that Jesus comes from the line of David. We move on. Now, this is after the exiles. Both exiles have happened. And in fact, we're moving into the time where Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, these three guys that come back, and they're actually leading people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem. And so this is actually kind of seen as the return to Israel, uh, which sets up for Jesus' day uh, when he was around then. Um, but before that, there's these three men that were trying to rebuild the, the Judah and, and the temple. And um, God sends a couple of prophets during this time as well to, to explain. And one of the interesting things, we did a series a long time ago about Ezra and Nehemiah and, and those books in the Bible. And as you read through them, it's, it's important to understand the context. They're desperately trying to restore Israel back to its former glory with none of the resources that they had before. And the people, they're trying to bring them back to a relationship with God and teach them the laws and teach them how to humble themselves and serve God and be faithful again. And they're finding it struggle at every turn. The people are so entrenched in the ways of the Babylonians or the Assyrians that they're so 
they've been brought up in this nation and now they are like this nation and they don't, they don't come back and just snap right back into faithfulness to God. And so Ezra, Nehemiah, and, and Zerubbabel are given this message and this, this uh, mission to try to help people return to the Lord, and it's, it's a struggle. And they're not being very successful. In fact, uh, the end of Nehemiah, he basically says, God, uh, I tried. <laughs> That's it. They'll let it be known that I tried. These people, they're not so good. But uh, Zechariah is a prophet during this time, and he's given a message, and his his main message is that hope requires faithfulness. That if you want to see the hope of the future, you need to be faithful in the meantime. And his is also dreams, lots of dreams. And so it's very confusing and, and difficult to understand the symbolism. But in the midst of those, he's given these glimpses of the future, these prophecies of Jesus. Uh, and uh, this is one of them in chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humbled, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim, the war horse of Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore you to you double. So he's trying to uplift them and tell them that there is hope. It's coming. There's a, there's a righteous one, a king coming, and he has salvation, and he's humble, like David. And this is where we get the, the prophecy that Jesus will come to Jerusalem mounted on a donkey, a colt. And we know that a week before Jesus died, he came to Jerusalem mounted on a colt. And people were shouting Hosanna and laying palm branches in their coats on the ground, shouting Hosanna, Hosanna. And Jesus was riding on a colt at the time. He was humble. He was their king. He has, he's coming with salvation and he's coming to speak peace to the nations. He's cutting off the tradition of war and kings taking over through violence. He's coming to speak peace and that there's going to be a covenant made in blood to set prisoners free. But remember, Zechariah is... is trying to let these people know that there is hope coming, but that hope requires faithfulness. And it's coming soon. Malachi is the next prophet. And one of the last, well, actually is the last one we read in the Old Testament. And so this is after the return has happened, after they've been doing this, and his main message is all about restoring justice, that God's going to restore justice. It's going to happen again. And in Malachi 3, 1, it says, Behold, I, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi's got this message of he's coming. He's almost here. The one who's going to bring the covenant in whom you delight, he's coming. He'll be there at his temple. The temple that's been attempting to be rebuilt. The Messiah is coming and he's going to step foot in that temple. Now that did happen, but it, it happened about 300 years later. We're going to talk about what that means for us in a bit. There's one more prophet though I want to share before we move on to that. One more prophet that I don't think gets enough credit for being a prophet, but he falls in the same line as all the rest of them. He's given a message from God to announce that the Messiah is coming and announce that 
uh, the people need to repent and turn and humble themselves. And uh, he adds on to them the message or the, the act of baptism. And he also gets to preach that the Messiah is not just coming, but he's already here and he's going to be here real soon. And he's going to start his ministry real soon. And that's John the Baptist. Um, he also gets, you know, the fun treatment that all the rest of the prophets get where he gets, he has to suffer in prison and ultimately die for the message he gave. So in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, John the Baptist says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Actually says this in all of the Gospels. Um, that John the Baptist was preaching this and, and sharing this, but this is just, Mark's usually the most efficient, so. Uh, but he, he explains that there's one coming right now. Like, there's a lot, Mark, John the Baptist has a lot of followers. People have been listening to him and excited to hear his words. They've been getting baptized by him, and they've been following him. And John wants to make it real clear that he's not the Messiah, that he's not the one that's coming to save them, that, but that the Messiah is here, and he's, he's coming right after him. And he's much mightier than him. And he's baptizing him, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. Adding on to that whole covenant that's written on your heart. So all these prophets were come before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. To establish that he was the Messiah. To explain where he was going to come from and what he was there to do. The type of king he would be. The type of shepherd he would be. The sacrifice that he would make. The sins that he would forgive. They set the tone for everything that was going to happen about Jesus and they prepare the way, speak into his ministry before he even came. Hundreds of years, in fact. So Jesus is a king and receives royalty from David because he's in his line. But he receives his priesthood the same way that all the prophets did by their calling and their anointing from God. And the prophecies that they give and the example that they set, he follows in that he also has the message of repentance and he shares it with people and he tells them to repent, to turn and humble themselves and reestablish relationship with God. The only difference that in his message is instead of saying that the Messiah is coming and that the kingdom of God is coming, he's saying the Messiah is here and the kingdom of God is here. Jesus gets to share that because he is a Messiah and he brought the kingdom with him. And like all the prophets, Jesus suffered and died for the message that he had to give, the calling that God gave him. So I wanted to look at this from three different angles. First, let's, type, let's look at God's, God's perspective. One, God's been at, at work, you know, all throughout history to reveal to his creation, this is me. This is who I am. I created you and I made you in my likeness and I want you to get to know me. Just like any relationship, you sit down and it's not just one person saying all this stuff. They, they want you to get to know them through that relationship by actually talking, getting to know each other. And so God's been at work trying to do this uh, all throughout history and he comes to the prophet's day. He's, he's established his relationship. He's established his creation. He's, he's made covenants with them. Uh, he's made a kingdom out of them. And now comes the time he's preparing the way for himself to come. And in the midst of that, he sends these prophets. As things get worse and worse for the nation of Israel, he sends these prophets to remind them that there's going to be a day coming when the Messiah comes. That he hasn't forgotten about them. That even though their nation falls apart all around them, 
that God's still there and he still loves them. He still sees them and he's still trying to reach out to them and establish that relationship with them. And in the midst of that, he, he says stuff like Malachi where 300 years is so close. He's, he's coming, but it's 300 years from now. And I think it's important for us to understand that when God says stuff like that, it's so close, he's coming. We need to understand that's not just like, hey, hang on for a little bit. Give him a year. Give him, I mean, heck, hang on for the rest of your life. Like just hang on and have that faith. He's not saying that. That's so close means don't just hang on and have faith yourself. Don't just expect to, to hang on for your, for your own sake. No, teach faithfulness to your, your children and their generation and teach the generation that follows them that when we say hang on, that something's coming and that God's plan is going to happen, it means don't just be faithful for your lifetime. It means prepare the way for the generations to, that follow you for them to also be faithful. You have a responsibility in that. That it's not just you that's saying, hang on. It's you saying to your children, hang on. And teaching them how to be faithful and remain confident and hopeful in what God's doing and in his plan. And we get the benefit of reading all this and seeing that. And hopefully we can be faithful. And not just for a short time, but pass it on to the generations that come behind us. There's also another perspective I'd like to see is the, the prophets. Uh, one of the things that I really love is that God gives them these messages in this time. That these faithful people God has called to give messages and they're not pleasant ones and they usually cause them to suffer and die for the message that God gave them, the calling that God gave them. And God gives them the message of hope. Saying, hey, I know that what I'm telling you to do and the message I'm telling you to share and the nation around you and the fact that they're not going to listen and all this stuff, it's not great. But just so you know, I haven't given up. Just so you know, there is a day coming where all these things that you are feeling wrecked about, they're going to be restored. The people will serve me again. I will be their king. It will be an everlasting kingdom. There will be peace and the sins will be forgiven. The the covenant that I have made, I will write on their hearts. Salvation is coming. The Messiah is coming. Don't worry. It's coming. I know it doesn't look great now, but I'm not giving up and I have a plan. I think there's a really cool thing that God gives these prophets this message. And I think it's really cool how God ties all of his stuff together. Not only is he setting up for Jesus, not only is he tying together all that he's done with all that he will do, he's also giving a message to these specific people saying, hey, don't worry, it's going to be okay. I'm still in control. I still got this. I think that's really cool that God gives that to those people. And then there's another perspective that we take a look at. Us our own perspective. And there's two things that I want to talk about. One, notice how Jesus doesn't have to say anything about himself. An apologetic standpoint. So that means like a defense of our faith. I don't really dive into apologetics too much. I think our faith stands on its own and it's good on its own. But this is one of those things that I see that differentiates Christianity from all the rest of the ways of life and religions and other stuff is that Jesus doesn't come and have to say anything about himself. He doesn't have to come and say, oh, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. Like any other faith or base thing, there's a lot of people saying, oh, listen to me, I've got the message. I know what's gonna happen. I know it's all. Jesus doesn't stand alone on that. In fact, it's a lot of other people that say that about him. 
It's a lot of other people that came before him that established this is who he is. And then even when he's there on earth, when he's on earth and he's with his disciples, he doesn't have to keep saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. In fact, he, he keeps talking to people and to his disciples saying, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? And they're the ones that say he's the Messiah. He's, he doesn't have to tell people because it's evident about him. He doesn't have to convince people because they already know the truth. It's been brought up from long beforehand. And this is one of the cool things that I love. So as I was preparing this, I was just, God was just showing me all this stuff and how he works and seeing, seeing the Bible cover to cover and understanding like the whole story is really cool because you see how it all fits together and what God's been up to. And one of the big things that I see God doing over and over again, as I've said, is that he's just trying to relate himself to his people, his children, his creation, saying, hey, this is me. This is me. This is who I am. I want you to get to know me. I want you to know who I am. So he establishes relationships with them. He, he tells them through people, like, this is who I am. And so look at this person and see that that's, this is the kind of faith that I, I'm looking for. And this is the kind of providing that I'm willing to do. And he, he keeps trying to reach out to his people to save them, to help them, to restore relationship with them. And all the time, he's just trying to show the world who he is. And then we get Jesus coming. And Jesus himself is, is the embodiment of God. Come into earth as a man to show us who he is. To restore that relationship again. That God's been at work this whole time doing and Jesus brings it to fulfillment. And it's so cool how God does that. And, and then I love, like I said, I love this moment where Jesus tells his disciples. He, he speaks specifically to his disciples saying, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And I love that God continually allows people the opportunity to speak into who he is. He continually uses people to show who, who he is. He continually uses this creation to help them understand that he is God and that he loves them and he wants relationship with them. And it, he keeps using these things. And I love this because it's like a teacher. You, you see, have you ever had a really good teacher that didn't just tell you what the rules are, didn't tell you the, the theorems or other things that you were supposed to be learned, didn't just tell you the things, they helped you understand why those things were true and why this works and how to do it, how to get there on your own. And that's the, those good teachers that actually taught you real lessons that you take with you and you learn and you go and apply in your life because you know how it works and why it works. That's what God's been at work doing all this time. And you see it as he works through his people that he's not just saying things, he's showing them, helping them come to those conclusions on their own and allowing them to speak into who he is. And show the rest of the world who he is. How cool is it that our God is such a good teacher that he wants them to understand. He wants all of us to understand who he is. And he's patient enough to help us understand it. Not just who he is, but how and why. So this year, uh, as we go into our Advent series and we remember, or our, we go into the time where we remember Jesus coming and we remember his birth. Um, one of the things God's been laying on my heart to do is just to look at the story again through fresh eyes and not just hear the same story that I've heard a thousand times, not just rehash it and be like, oh, Christmas, yeah, Jesus came, woohoo, Emmanuel. But to really think about it, to really experience it again, to really 
appreciate what we get because of all these people that God put before Jesus to pave the way, they were desperately waiting for this. And sometimes it's in our lives, like, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's when I'm in my desperate, most desperate situations that I really appreciate God the most. And I want to experience that without hopefully having to feel the desperation again. I want to have the anticipation that God has or that the, these prophets had for the Messiah. I want to I be longing for Jesus and I want to have that experience and I want to honor these men and their faithfulness by being so excited to hear this story again. By being excited to join together and, and celebrate Jesus once again because of how great this message is and how awesome and how much he's changed my life. All these, the hope that they have, I get that. The, the covenant that is written on, on hearts, it's written on mine. The, the Messiah that came to save and, and forgive, he's mine. And I know him. The Holy Spirit that comes to, that I got baptized in, it's, in, it's within me. I get all those things because Jesus came. And I want to honor the men that came before him that were looking so forward to having this story, to hearing it, that as, if, as if I was one of them. That, oh, I'm going to tell you the story of the Messiah coming. And they would have been rapt attention like, oh, tell me about it. I longed for that day to come. That's what I want to try to do this year. Let's hear the story again like that. We're going to take communion now like we do every week. And we do this to remember what Jesus did for us. That he didn't just come to be with us. That he didn't just come to live here on earth and experience life with us. Didn't just come to establish a kingdom. But he also came to save us from our sin. And how to do that was like the rest of the prophets. He had to suffer and die. And I wanted to read something one of the prophecies that came 700 years before Jesus came. And I just wanted to read it over you. Um, So you can just listen, close your eyes if you want, and just think about it as we're going to go into this time of communion. Listen to what was written about Jesus long before he came. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne out our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering 
for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is what we remember every week that Jesus came to do. He came to die a death that he didn't deserve so that we could be saved and our sins be forgiven. On the last night, Jesus was with his disciples and he broke the bread and said, this is my body, take this in remembrance of me. And then he passed the cup and said, this is my blood which I will shed for you, shed for you. take and drink. Let's pray. Hey God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for paving the way and putting many men of faith before to establish and pass on the message of hope and pass on the faithfulness to the next generation. I pray, Lord, that our generation continues to pass on the traditions and the hope that we have in you. Pray, Lord, that we can be faithful like the prophets were and and serve you like they did. Even if we even if we're told that no one's going to listen, I pray, Lord, that we still share what you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that you can help us be faithful and help us show who you are to the world around us and that we never forget how great you are and what you've done for us and how great it is that we get to hear this message, that we get to celebrate your coming to be with us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.